the king of the beasts, the lion, he approaches the zebra and he says, who's the king of the jungle? And the zebra shudders and says, well, I, y- you are, of course. He says, you're right, I am. Goes to the monkey and he says, who's the king of the jungle? And the monkey says, shuddering in fear, he says, well, of course, you are. Of course, everybody knows that. He goes, good. Goes to the elephant and says, who's the king of the jungle? And the elephant looks down at him, takes his trunk, wraps it around him, hoists him in the air, body slams him three times, and then throws him against a rock. And the lion says, look, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean you have to take it so personally. You know, sometimes when we look at power, we think of power as the power to make people do stuff they don't want to do. Have you ever had a boss or somebody that's in charge of you ever say, you don't have to like it, you just have to do it? Anybody ever hear those words? Anybody here that's been a supervisor ever say those words? Oh, I have to say that I have said that. You know, I had a staff member at a church. And uh, he just balked at the system and just couldn't do you know, I don't like that. I don't like this. And I finally asked him, what do you like? And that's what I heard. Nothing. I said, well, in that case, you really don't have to like it. You just have to do it. You know, and I actually said those words. But sometimes we use power inappropriately. Now, Power in the kingdom of God doesn't have anything to do with the power to make people do stuff they don't want to do. It has everything to do with impacting people with the power of God. And so power in the kingdom of God has this idea of impact. That's one of the big reasons why we do outreach. We want people to be impacted by the power of God, not just by what we do, but by the power of God, because the power of God is the only thing that has the ability to change people's lives. We might be able to change a habit here or there simply by willpower or doing whatever. But in order to be transformed, we must have the power of God active and present in our lives. I want our church to be one that is heralded across Sassoon, all the way maybe even over to the waterfront over there, as a church that has the power of God. If you need the power of God, I want you to go to that church. You know, and I believe that people are crying out for, to see the gospel worked out in power. Not just in rules and regulations, but in power. The power to transform a life. The power to make your desires different than what they were before. And that's what, our, what I want our church to be. I want it to be one that is characterized by what we read a couple of weeks ago. And people were being added to their number daily as they were being saved. Now, I'm not interested in people coming to our church from other churches, to be honest with you. Because people, you know why people leave other churches? Because they're unhappy. And I don't want them to bring their unhappiness here. Now, some of you came from other churches. I'm glad you did. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But I want us to impact the kingdom of God, not just the saints. You know, I want the people of God to be able to impact those who are outside the church. I want to see people coming to know Jesus on a regular basis so that we wear out the the pool over at the Parkhams. I want their pool just to be worn out from baptisms. You know, I want, it to, I want to have to repair it every now and then because we use it so much. But I want to have the power to impact people, not just kind of get the saints all together from other churches because they're unhappy there. Maybe we can make them happy here. Probably won't happen. So let's find out how we can do that. 
In Acts chapter 3 today, we're going to see one of those miraculous signs. Remember, when Peter was preaching, he said that you're going to see wonders and miraculous signs. Now we come to one of those instances, and it was kind of interesting when he preached that. He didn't talk about any of the signs, any of the wonders. He didn't really talk about that too much. Uh, he didn't say, he didn't display any of them. That's for certain. And so now today we come to a point where we see a display of power. Okay. And so we're going to take a look at Acts chapter three, verses one through 11. And I'm just going to read the, the first part of the story to you here. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want to real quickly today talk about three displays of power, three observations of power that we see in this passage here today. The first one is the power of persistence. The power of persistence. How many of you would describe yourself as a persistent person? If it doesn't work the first time, I'm going to try again. If it doesn't work the second time, I'm going to try again. If it doesn't work the third time, I'm going to try again. And I'm going to keep trying until the job gets done. Now notice this man in verses 1 and 2. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So they were going to church, right? They were on their way to church, and in particular, they were going to a prayer meeting. Now, you know that the Jewish people pray three times a day, and at three o'clock, it's one of those times that they would gather together at the temple and pray. Now, verse two, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, what's the problem with a lame man in this culture? Okay, well, they they might think that sin did it. That's kind of a thing, you know, there's a a thing. Bill? Well, one thing is that being lame back then, you're you're, uh, not able to get around, and there's some things that just aren't going to come to you. There's just not a lot of Okay. Now, what what could he not do? He couldn't walk. But, but, I mean, beyond that, since he couldn't walk, what could he not do? He couldn't work. He couldn't work. And if he don't work, you don't get any pay. And if you don't have any pay, you don't get any food. So this man was left to the, to the mercy of the people that were walking by him every day. Now, apparently, there was somebody that he knew that would take him and put him there, because notice how it says, uh, the man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful every day, Yeah, where it was put every day. Every day he would go there, somebody would take him and put him there. Now, he was persistent because do you think there was ever a day where he woke up in the morning and said, you know what, I don't want to be a burden to these people anymore. I don't want to be a problem. I'm just going to stay here in bed. You think there was ever a day like that? Yeah, but you know what weighed more heavily upon him than that, than wanting to just stay in bed? I want to eat. I want to eat. And I need to eat more than I need to sleep. So every day... 
was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. And you have to ask the question, why do you think he was taken to the temple? You know, why didn't he go to the marketplace where there's food? You know, and people would buy their groceries. You know, we see it today. There's a lot of people that will, since right in the driveway of the, of the market that you shop at, and you have, might have some groceries or something that you can bless them with, and you share that with them. Why didn't he go, or better yet, why didn't he go someplace along one of the major arteries where a lot of people were passing by and where they might be able to give him some food or give him some money to get food or take care of him in some other way? You know, why did he go to the temple? Now, let's take a look at this temple gate. Because we think of the temple gate, and we might not have a visual of it. But the temple gate that is called beautiful was a huge place. It was huge, and it was ornate. In fact, it was made of Corinthian brass. It was plated with gold and silver. It stood 75 feet high, and it was 60 feet wide. Now, 60 feet wide, if this guy's sitting over in the corner, 75 feet tall, 60 feet wide, that's a huge gate, isn't it? And he would be easy to bypass. It would be easy to bypass. But I'll tell you one thing he knew. He knew that Jesus had been there before. Jesus had been in the temple before, and he had healed people. In fact, in Matthew 21, 14, the blind and the lame came to him, speaking of Jesus, at the temple, and he healed them. Now, why hadn't this guy been healed before? I don't know. But obviously, he had not been healed before. But he knew that that was the source, or that at least was the geography of healing that had taken place in the past. And so he says, hey, if it's happened before, it could happen to me. And he persistently, daily, came there so that he could maybe be benefited by that healing. Now, people could bypass him. In fact, many people marginalized him because he was just a beggar. He was just some guy that, you know, didn't have any resources. He didn't have a job. And so, therefore, we can kind of bypass him and pretend like he doesn't exist. Maybe put him out of our minds. And so they would walk by, and 60 feet wide, you could say, oh, he's over on the left side. I'm going on the right side today. Oh, he's on the right side. I'm going on the left side today. Oh, there's one guy on each side. I'm going in the middle. You know, and if there's a big enough crowd, maybe I won't have to gaze over there and lock eyes with him. You know, I'll be able to bypass him. People could have done that. But he knew that that was the place to go. And he probably believed that people that go to church, you know, people that go to the temple, they might have a kinder heart than people who don't. And maybe, just maybe, they will bless me with something. So he persistently went there. Now, if you want the power of God in your life, you got to be persistent. You know, a lot of times we just want to say, okay, God, I want to pray for this or pray for that. We pray for it one time and we hope that it happens. But when it doesn't, you say, okay, well, you know, and then have you ever prayed and God not done something right away and you make excuses for God? You know, you say, oh, he didn't do this. Well, therefore, maybe he's, you know, okay, well, I won't pray for that anymore. I'll just accept the constant. Maybe it was something I did. Maybe it's my own fault. Maybe it's whatever. And we start making up all these excuses as to why maybe God didn't answer our prayer. Now, I'm reminded that there was a blind guy, Bartimaeus. Remember Bartimaeus? Jesus is going by on the road. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, what did the crowd do with Bartimaeus? Do you remember that story? Bartimaeus, they told him, shh, hush up, hush up. Be quiet. You're disturbing people. Don't, don't bother the master like that. Be quiet. You know, and what was Bartimaeus' response to that? He cried all the louder because he was persistent. He knew that the source of his healing was right there. And what happened? His persistence paid off. 
There was a late, another lady. She had this issue of blood, and she would, she just she couldn't get it under control. She couldn't stop it. She couldn't get healed. She and she saw Jesus in a crowd, and she pushed her way through the crowd just so that she knew that if I could get close enough, if I could just experience Jesus' power, I'll be healed. And all she did was she reached out and touched the hem of his garment, and all of a sudden, her persistence paid off. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I just like to give up. You know, if it doesn't happen the first two, three, four times, you know, I just say, well, you know, maybe that's just the way it's supposed to be, and I'll just be content with that. But I want you to know that we need to develop persistence if we want to experience the power of God. Persistence paid off. Now, this man, he's 40 years old. If you read, later, if you read the whole story, it goes all the way through chapter 4. But if you read through the whole story, you'll find out that he's 40 years old. He's been lame since birth. And this guy didn't give up. I can imagine 40 years of, of this being lame and being carried out and sat down so you can beg at the gate. You just Pretty soon you just say, hey... I, I give up, you know, it's just not going to work out. But he did not give up, and we're going to find out that his persistence paid off. So, number one thing, we need to be persistent. The second thing that we see here is the power of expectation. The power In verses 3 through 5, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, I don't know if, you know, sometimes as we go through life, you know, we start knowing what we need, right? And really what he needed? Nah, he needed to heal so he could get a job and work. You know, then the money becomes the byproduct of what he really needs. But sometimes we focus on the symptoms of the problem rather than the real problem. And sometimes when we pray, we pray about the symptoms of the problem and we have a solution in mind when we pray, right? We have a problem with our health. And we say what? God, heal me, heal me. And maybe the solution to our health problem is that we need to change our lifestyle. You know, maybe we need to eat a little less chocolate cake. I don't know. Just a thought. But the truth of the matter is, is sometimes we just need, a sol- we, we pray for the immediate solution, what we think is the problem, and we say, God, heal me. And he's saying, no, I want you to change your diet and stuff like that. So we start praying with a solution in mind. And here we find the expectation. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money because he thought that's the solution to my problem. Because if I get money, then I can buy some food. I can make it another day. I can make it another day. And when we become hopeless like that, a lot of times our sight becomes real short. Okay, we we start worrying about this week. You know, how can I manage this week? And then pretty soon we get to the point where the resources are so limited, we say, well, what about today? I just have to get through today. And sometimes that's a good technique. Sometimes it's a good tactic. But in general, the solution is bigger than just today. And so he asked for money. And, you know, I can imagine Peter and John just going, oh, no, you know, we don't have any money. How are we going to help this guy? And so Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, (laughs) and I like this part here because it doesn't really get explained. He says, look at us. I don't know what, but, you know, sometimes people, you know, need to look at us. And I think when he said, look at us, well, maybe what he could have meant was that, can't you see, we don't have any, we don't have any money. You know, do we look rich to you? you know, and that's what goes through our minds a lot of times when people ask for specifics and they want some money. Look at us. And so the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. I want you to circle that word expecting. Because he's, he's, they said, look at us. And he goes, okay, I will. Because I'm expecting to get something 
from you. Now, what did he expect? He asked for money, so I suspect that he probably expected to get some money. Look at us. Okay, I'll do whatever you ask as long as you give me some money, as long as you fulfill my expectation. Now, often, like I said, we have the answer to our prayers before we even pray them. And if he was praying, man, he would have prayed for money, right? He would have prayed for money. And what, what if God had said, okay, I'll answer that prayer. I'll answer your prayer. I'll give you some money. Here, these guys give you a couple of shekels here and, and be on your way. You got enough food for a little while and now you can go on your way. And he would have never known that he missed what God really wanted to do, which was heal him. He wanted to give him legs to walk. Now, in Ephesians 3.20, we understand that God can do far more than we ask. In fact, Paul tells the Ephesian church, he's speaking of Jesus. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Okay? Now, even on your best day, your best imagination, you might not be able to imagine what God really wants to do in and through the situation that you find yourself in. God might want to do something miraculous, and you're looking for a temporary fix. I'm looking to get through today. And God says, no, I want to give you a story for a lifetime. I want to give you something that goes far beyond today and it impacts, impacts far more than just you. It's going to impact everybody who knows you. It's going to impact everybody who sees what happens. I've got a bigger plan than that. And Paul reminded the Ephesians church, the, the Ephesian church that God can do far more than we can imagine. Far more than we can imagine. So even on our best day, he's going to be able to do much more than that. Now, how many times have you come to church not expecting anything? Don't raise your hands. Don't say it. Okay, don't say it. It might hurt my feelings. You know, sometimes we come to church expecting just the routine, right? We're going to come. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to hear a message. And, and hopefully we're going to get done by 11 o'clock. That'll give us time to beat everybody else that goes to later church to the restaurant and get lunch. Okay, you know. And if it goes a little late, oh, no, you know. You know, time's ticking, time's ticking. And so we really don't expect much when we come to church. And it's, it's difficult for us. There's no anticipation. There's no excitement. Um, there's, there's just the routine. And I really don't want our church to become routine. I don't want the, what we do to be routine. I want it to be something where we come and expect Jesus to do something. And we see his power in action to change my life, to change my attitudes, to change the way I think, to change the way I interact with people, to change me. I expect God to change me every Sunday. I expect God to change me. And I hope that you come expecting God to change you every Sunday. What a terrible lot we would be if we never got changed, right? You know, even if we stay just as good as we are now. Even if we stayed that way, what a shame it would be for us never to experience more of the power of God than what we experience right now. So I want you to come because it's vital that you come expecting to hear from God. Okay, not just expecting Pastor Mike to say something that might tickle your fancy, but I want you to come expecting to hear from God, having the Spirit of God that dwells in you confirm to you that what you're hearing is the message from God and that because of that, you're going to go out and do something different. You're going to be someone different. You're going to have impact in the world around you. Now, I believe that that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, he says this, I wait for the Lord my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Now, why do watchmen wait for the morning? 
because that's when their, their duty is done. They watched through the night. They were the protectors. And they looked for the mornings and said, oh man, if it just gets morning, I can get some sleep. I can't, okay, they had the night job. They could get some sleep. They could, they looked forward to that. And I pray that we look forward to the time where we can rest in Jesus, where we can rest in the Word of God, where we can rest in the power of God, so that He then can bring peace into our lives. Now, in Micah, Micah echoes the same kind of, of sentiment in Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for my God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Have you ever wondered if God hears you or not? You know, sometimes I wonder that. You know, last Sunday we prayed for Nancy Lee to be healed, didn't we? Nancy, can you raise your arm today? Can you do that? No. Yeah, <laughs> no. And God didn't heal her, did he? You know, and I just wonder if we need to have a little bit of persistence and expectation in order for that to happen. Pardon me? Okay. Well, see, and now there we go making excuses for God. Huh? <laughs> Let's do this. Let's gather around Nancy Lee again. And I want to be persistent about this. You know, I want God to know that we're serious about what we want for Nancy because Nancy wants to go home and we want Nancy to go home. And not, you know, and again, not to heaven, but uh, from her daughter's house to her own home here in Susan. And be careful about that. You have to be very careful when you pray, too. God might, you know, God won't misunderstand us. Don't worry. So if you would be so kind as just gather around Nancy again. I want to pray for her again. I want to be persistent in asking God to heal her and to give her the freedom to, to, to be able to go home. Father, we bow before you this morning. And Lord, we want to be persistent. Lord, we see so many times in the Bible where persistence pays off. Lord, we've documented some of those today, and we want to be persistent for Nancy. Lord, we don't want to give up. We don't want to quit. Lord, I pray that you give her the power to just raise her arm, you know, be able to raise her arm, be able to drive, be able to go home, be able to care for herself. Lord, we pray this not so much that she would have comfort, but so that she'd have a story to tell of your faithfulness, so that people who observe her would see you in action. Lord, our church wants to see you in action. We want to see you be able to heal her. And so, Lord, we ask for that today, and we give you praise and glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you. That might become a staple and a routine of our church, you know, praying for people who need help. Okay? Hudson Taylor's life motto was this, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Now, many times I think that we don't, we don't experience great things from God because we don't attempt great things for Him. So let's start attempting some great things for God. Let's go out there on the limb. Let's ask God to do what we believe God wants to do, and let's put our faith and our trust in Him. Let's expect Him to do that. And then let's look at the third observation here today, and that is the power of giving. The power of giving. Now, the guys asked Peter and John for some money, right? And... They've said, look at us. And so he looked at them with expectation, expecting to get some money. And now we come to verses 6 through 8. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Now, 
what had been given to this early church, the power of the Holy Spirit, had not been given to them for their own benefit. It had been given to them for the benefit of other people. And as they exercised it, they saw this great wealth of power coming from them and this great impact that they had for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, what had been given them was not to be kept, but it was to be given away. And so when we have the power of God within us, a lot of times we just kind of relish it. We go, yeah, I've got the power of God, got the power of God. And everybody around us says, really? I don't see it. I don't see you doing anything with it. So it's given to us so that we can give back. One time the, the, apostles, the disciples were, were with Jesus uh, back in Matthew, and he's getting ready to send them out on a journey so that they can practice their faith. I believe that, man, I've always believed this, that we ought to raise up our kids and we ought to do kind of like the Mormon church does, send them out on a mission, you know? And that's what Jesus does. He raises up his disciples and he sends them out on a mission. Okay, I've taught you some stuff. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to go out there and practice the stuff. Now, I don't think we ought to send our kids out and just knock on doors and do that kind of stuff. I think we ought to send them out in mission ventures that prove their faith, that give give them a chance to experience God. Maybe we should take all their money away. Okay, don't take anything but one change of clothes and see what happens. You know, and that's what Jesus did with his disciples here. He said, don't take extra clothes with you. Don't take a lot of money with you. Don't take that stuff. Just go and see if God will provide for you. And if God provides for you, then how great would your faith be? And here's what he says to them in Matthew 10, 8. He gives them these instructions, okay, as they're getting ready to go out. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And here's the part I really want you to get, and I want you to circle that there in Matthew 10, 8. Freely you have received, freely give. You cannot give what you have not received. Okay, So make sure that you've received the power of God before you try to dispense it. Okay, Make sure that you've received it before you dispense it. Now, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Peter and John, they're going to church, right? They're going to church, particularly they're on their way to a prayer meeting. Now, what they could have said was, hey, yeah, we see you there, guy. And you know what? The cool thing is this is God's timing because we're on our way to church right now and we're going to pray for you when we get there. They could have done that, right? And maybe there have been times in our lives where we have done that kind of thing. Hey, you know what? I'll let all my friends know. I'm going to put you on my prayer list. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get you on the prayer chain at church. I'm going to get you all squared away. And so we're going to pray for you. Okay? Now, what did they do? They didn't do that. Because I believe that many times I'll pray for you as a cop-out. Okay? It's holy procrastination. We know what God wants, Right? Have you ever known, have you ever gotten up on Sunday morning and prayed, God, you know, do you, should I go to church today? You know, he said, no. Oh, no. Okay, good. And I'm glad I understood that right. Okay. Um, because why? We know what God wants, right? He's told us, you know, his word is clear. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. But all the more, as you see the day drawing near, get together so that you can encourage each other. That's where encouragement comes from. So don't don't resist getting together because that's where you need to be to receive encouragement. Okay, so we know that. I don't get up on Sunday morning and say, God, do you want me to go to church? Do you want me to preach today? I don't know, maybe not. 
you know, maybe you don't. No, I already know ahead of time what God wants me to do. When it comes to giving money to the church, I don't pray and I say, God, God, should I give money to the church? No, his word's real clear about that stuff. I don't say, you know what, God, should I, should I be kind to my fellow man? No, I don't need to pray about that. God, should I, should I preach a message today? No, I don't need to pray about that. God's already given me instruction about that stuff. I don't need to pray about what God has already instructed me in. So many times when we say, oh, yeah, let me pray about that. It's just holy procrastination. We already know what God wants, and we're trying to buy some time because we don't really want to do it. So be careful how you pray. Now, Peter and John, they didn't act that way, did they? Okay? They didn't try to buy some time. I don't, oh, we don't have any money, so we need to buy some time to see if we can scrounge up some money. They didn't do that. They said, they asked the question that I ask you to ask all the time. Number one, what does he need? And number two, what do I have? Okay, he needs, he says he needs money. Okay, I don't have that. But what I do have is the power of God. Okay, he needs that. And so they say, okay, and, and, and they say it very clearly. They say, silver and gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I've got that. I don't have money, but I've got that. You know, sometimes I think we have traded the power of God for money. Okay, as we get, you know, as church goes on, you know, we think that money will solve all ills, and so we give money to the church, and maybe the church gives money out to people. But, you know, giving money to people many times doesn't give them the power of God. And we've kind of exchanged the power of God for the ability of money to meet people's immediate needs. We need to be careful as a church about that. Now, I think there's some immediate needs the church needs to meet for people. Don't get me wrong there. But sometimes we have not focused on, first of all, let's get the power of God into your life. Let's get the power of God there. Let's make sure that you have that. And I love the fact that Peter and John didn't focus on what they didn't have. They focused on what they did have. Okay? So focus on what you do have. And every once in a while, you might need to take a spiritual inventory and find out, what do I really have? Do I have the power of God? And can I dispense that to people who need it? Maybe, maybe I just need to give it a chance. Maybe I need to give it a try. Maybe I just need to tell people that Jesus is the solution to their problem. And if they would yield to him, he might not solve their problem, but he'll sure give them the power to endure the problem. And they'll give them a different perspective about the problem. And he'll give them the power to get through the problem. So therefore, maybe that's what I need to dispense. They had the power of God, Peter and John, had the power of God to impact people's lives. I want that to be a hallmark of our church there's a story told about St. Thomas Aquinas uh, back in the early church. And uh, he visited Pope Innocent II. And when he walked in, he found the Pope in there counting a large sum of money, you know, because the church had become very wealthy. And uh, the Pope looked over at Thomas and he says, Ah, Thomas, uh, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. Yeah, we've, we've got resources now. We've got, and that might sound good to a lot of people. But Thomas said, that's true, your holiness. But then neither can it now say, arise and walk. And I think that sometimes we trade off for money versus the power of God. And I think churches get focused. And I, you know, don't get me wrong. There's, there's always a need for money. But sometimes we focus on money and don't emphasize the power of God. I want us to get that. If we have to focus on one thing or the other, I think we can focus on both. But if we have to overemphasize one over the other, which would you overemphasize? I would overemphasize the power of God in a heartbeat because that's the solution, not the money. 
Many times money becomes a temporary solution and people see it as the solution. And just like this guy, you know, the lame man, he says, oh, I need some money. Give me some money. That's the solution to my problem. No, the power of God was the solution to his problem. He was able to rise up and walk. So let us be persistent in our pursuit of God's power. Let us expect to receive God's power and let us be giving in dispensing God's power. Let that be the hallmark of your life, and you will find that you are going to have far more impact in the world than you had before.